HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to In the Drink. In the Drink is a show that has everything to do with wine, cocktails, and other beverages, and absolutely nothing to do with golf whatsoever. Uh, I'm Joe Campanelli. I'm your, your host for In the Drink. I'm also the beverage director of a few restaurants in uh, New York City, Delanima, Lartuzzi, La Picho, and Amphora Wine Bar. Um, I'm uh, super happy this morning. I'm just uh, incredibly excited uh, uh, my man Obama won last night, so I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, we're, we're actually, uh, we're taping today from my wine bar from Anfora in the West Village. Uh, Sandy knocked out the L train, which is the train that takes me over to Bushwick, Brooklyn. Um, so we're here, nice and comfortable in the West Village. And I have uh, a really good close friend on the show today. We have Adam Schumann, and I, uh, I met Adam probably about five years ago. He is the, uh, the head bartender and mixologist at the, the Fatty Crab Group of Restaurants, which, uh, which is the restaurant that I've been to the most in my life because we have uh, Delaney was about a block away. Um, and he just took over. Um, he just took over at Skernick Wines, which is without a doubt one of the, the top uh, wine and spirits distributors as the spirit portfolio manager. Um, anyway, without uh, any further ado, Adam, thanks, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on the show today. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Joe. Well, I've been a, I've been a big fan of uh, of your drinks. I, I think that of any of any um, uh, uh, bartender, any mixologist, I don't think I've had more cocktails from any single person other other than you um, in my life. What do you think uh, separates? Uh, or what are your inspirations for, for creating drinks when, when you do that? Well, um, you know, I started out uh, as, as a, a cook. I, uh, I went to culinary school and 
when I uh, when I graduated culinary school and I moved to the city, I started out cooking, and you know, I, I quickly found that uh, it was going to take more more time and effort than I, than I wanted to uh, to work my way up through uh, through the ranks. And I loved speaking to people, and I wasn't completely uh, you know socially uh, awkward and uh, wanted wanted to be out there out there talking. So when I got the opportunity to uh, to write the schedule and bartend at Fatty Crab, I, I did. I, I saw it, and I got addicted. I got hooked immediately. I remember a, a girl took me on a, her first date to uh, to Death and Co, and um, I was just just blown away. I, I didn't know that you know they. Um, I didn't know the amount of technique and the the how, how complex and artistic you know bartending could be, um, and I was I was just I was hooked from from the get. So you know when I approach cocktails, you know we're we're approaching them as as you would food. You know you're you're using um, kind of a base of ingredients and and recipes that are tried and true, and you know we're you know finding that that delicate balance between uh, sweet and sour and savory and understanding how the spirit plays into every everything and, and bitter and um you know i uh i love it i you treat, treat it like food you know and um then you know it'll work out well one of, one of the things that I really love about uh, about your drinks is the way you would incorporate some of those more savory flavors, um, chili and the chupacabra cocktail, uh, salt in a lot of cocktails. Um, can you can you talk about how how you might balance out some of the sweeter flavors in a cocktail with with some some more savory flavors? Because I think that's something that that usually home bartenders and even professional bartenders can sometimes neglect. Absolutely. I mean, you know, savory, uh, I think is, is super, super important. And, you know, anytime I'm, I'm working with, uh, ingredients that are savory, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily say it or talk about it, but, you know, always putting a, uh, a pinch of salt and the salt helps bring out the sweetness and the savory kind of, you know, acts, uh, as a, uh, a carrier for all of these flavors, that whole, you know, umami, uh, sensation. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's really important. We, we always talked about when I worked, uh, when I worked for Fatty and when, when you just talk about food in general, you always talk about, um, you know, mouth feel and you talk about, you know, how it, how it coats the mouth and, and texture is a huge part of, of, of cocktails from the, uh, the spirit you're using, you know, is it single distilled or, or double distilled? It adds to kind of that, uh, that, that texture. And a lot of these spirits have, you know, really savory aromas. And at the end of the day, people love food. I mean, food is savory. There's something warming about it. It makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, it's, it's really important to incorporate uh, th- those flavors. And as the American um, palate becomes, uh, you know, more, uh, as the American public becomes more educated in, in terms of, of flavors, both food and, and drink alike, you're, you're seeing uh, savory uh, pop, popping up more. People love spice. People, people love salt. Um, you know, people like exotic ingredients and, you know, it didn't hurt that I was working for a, uh, you know, group of, of restaurants that specialized in Southeast Asian cuisine where, you know, savory is, is, you know, is what they do. You're talking about chilies, you're talking about curries, you're talking about fish sauce and soy sauce, a very, you know, umami, uh, flavor. So it only made sense for them to, uh, appear in the cocktails. Well, talk to us a little bit about, um, how, uh, how, 
you would incorporate the flavors of the food uh, into cocktail creation. Um, if someone was to, you know, and if someone was to create a menu at home for for that night, um, and they wanted to do cocktail pairing for their for their menu, what sure. what are some of the principles that that you would that you'd go back to time again in order to do cocktail and food pairing? Well, I mean, you know, you can think about it. it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, necessarily, you know, where I was working with these Southeast Asian flavors. You know, somebody, uh, somebody who is going for Italian food. You know, they're using what Calabrian chilies in their in their pasta dish. You know, it would make a whole lot of sense to incorporate, you know, Calabrian chilies and you know, uh, you know, different types instead of using, uh, you know, a fruit that you know maybe from from uh, from Mexico. Maybe you you go with a fruit that is is common in, in that part of Italy and, and it makes sense where, you know, the ingredients the ingredients cross over um, from what is in the food into uh, into the drinks. It's just a natural a natural pairing and a, a you know progression of flavors and technique. That makes sense. Yeah, that make, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, at our restaurants we always try to let's try to incorporate uh, some Italian uh, Italian spirits, Italian uh, Ingredients into into the cocktails because um, usually what what ends up happening is that someone uh, I think that that probably at the fatty restaurants where we used to work people would would drink cocktails more often with like all throughout the course of uh, the dinner because you're a much more talented uh, mixologist than I. Oh, whatever, man. You run you run you run an amazing wine program. I come you know I I would say how, how much a quarter of my paycheck for like a couple of years straight where it was going right to you guys. Uh, you know, because I get out of work and and all I want in my life is a bowl of pasta and a and a glass of some some you know uh, cellar temperature orange wine. You know, because it has mouth feel and it has all these things. But I, I liked I liked you know your you know, like uh, for Ad Lartusi for example, which I'd say of all of your restaurants I frequent the most. Um, you know the use of of bitter in the food. You know I think you guys use parsley exceptionally well, and I think it's one of the most underused you know uh, ingredients out there. And 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 just like that that parsley, you know it would make a lot of sense for you to use the amaro the amari that is you know. Uh, uh, from from Italy and you know it's 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 used in a way to to add another uh, a layer of complexity and you guys do a good job of that. You know, Adam, you int- actually introduced me to uh, quite a few wines. Um, you'd always you know bring in a bottle of wine that you're super jazzed about. I, I mean, I do want to focus on on your all of your your bartender your mixology skills and we'll talk about upskirting a bit. But what what are you drinking right now uh, in the wine world that that you're super excited about? Oh man, what am I drinking right now? You know what? I uh, I recently started exploring the the world of of new world wines of American wines a lot more. Previously, uh, Riesling is 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 my my grape of a grape of choice. I think it has a really really bad rap here in the states. I think too many people drank really really cheap Riesling uh, in college and ended up with a with a hangover. And you know they didn't they didn't realize that. You know there is an unbelievable balance between uh, acid and, and sugar in these German wines, and and how minerally and intense some of these Austrian rieslings uh, can be. And when it comes to something that pairs well with food, or something that you just want to drink, you know, on its own, uh, those those high acid, cold climate wines like rieslings and, and Gruners and things like that are are some of my my favorite wines. I love. Um, I, I was listening to an interview. I forget if it, I think it was on. I think it was, uh, I'll drink to that. I, f- I forget who um, Levy Dalton was interviewing, but he asked, which which wine do you see not enough of? And for me, sex wines, you know, I see 
KP, the sparkling wines of, of Austria, I love and I drink as much as possible. I love how a single varietal can show through, um, you know, in a sparkling wine when it's made correctly. And, you know, I'm not certainly not going to knock champagne because champagne is, is, you know, champagne. But uh, I, I really do love, um, you know, when you taste sparkling Sauvignon Blanc or a Muscatel or you see these other dynamic flavors come through in the sparkling wine. It's great. So I drink a lot of that. Um, what else have been drinking a lot of recently? Um, you know, I drink a lot of Loire wines. I drink a lot of really light-bodied, like very feminine, kind of minerally driven red wines, Gamay, Pinot Doni. Um, so, you know, I like Pinot Doni a lot. It has a really nice kind of oily texture to it, um, very vibrant. All those mountainous red wines, wines from Jura. I love Poussard and uh, Trousseau and the Pinot Noirs from, from there. I, I really find them super sexy. I've been drinking a lot of also um, Sauvignon and, and Chardonnay from Jura. Um, like in the style that's in June where it's, you know, uh, it's, uh, it sits underneath, uh, under floor, under the yeast, similar to sherry. So it takes on that oxidative kind of yeasty quality. I love that. Um, Cal, thank you've been drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't drink, I don't drink as much as I should. I don't drink, I don't drink alone. So I, I have this collection of wine that's built up in my house and every, every, I'd say once a month I have people over and we, we cook and we tear into, you know, a nice, nice chunk of wine. It's, it's fun. Nice. Well, I, I want to just change gears a little bit. I uh, I remember uh, about a month or two ago, um, I got a call from you um, breaking the news to me that you're leaving Fatty, um, and I was uh, definitely uh, at first heartbroken and then completely thrilled for you, sincerely, because you're a close personal friend and that you're taking over this um, the, this incredible new position at, at Michael Skernick Wines. Um, and, and as I said before, I, you know, Michael Skernick's, I think, one of the, just the, the real pioneers and, and top distributors in the industry, um, really known for, for their wines. We have their wines at, at, all, of our, uh, at all of our locations, um, probably at, at La Picha, at our new restaurant. We have, I think, perhaps more Skernick wines than, than any others. Um, I saw that. I love that. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and uh, they're one of the few distributors that, that also has uh, 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 the ability to distribute liquor as well as wine. And so their, their spirits portfolio uh, is something that, uh, although there, I always felt there were some, some highlights like the, the Hans Reisethauer, uh, the Pasquet uh, uh, Cognacs, is something that was that was kind of neglected. So I assume they brought you on to to help um, and, uh, and bring that back to, to the same quality level as the wines. So. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm really I'm really stoked to uh, to have the opportunity to do this. It was it was the single hardest uh, decision I've ever made in my entire life by far, you know, to leave, uh, the, the fatty group, but it, you know, it, it helped a lot that I, I knew who I was, who I was going to be, uh, you know, going to work for. We, we had a very, you know, good relationship, um, over, over the years. I, I became close with a, a number of, of the people who worked for Michael and Michael himself. Um, so when he told me, and you know, I was already familiar with, uh, his wine portfolio and a number of his spirits, uh, some of which I counted, some of which I, I didn't, but you know, I, I had, I had done some homework, um, you know, because it was my job to. Um, so when Michael offered me this opportunity to come on board and help grow this, this portfolio kind of from the ground up. I mean, we have, you know, we have a number of, uh, very, very small growers, um, just like, just like wine, you know, all of our, all of our spirits are 
kind of that farm-to-table approach. You know, there's a difference between uh, a negociant on a house and what we would consider uh, a grower's, whether it be champagne or cognac or armagnac, Calvados or whatever it may be. Um, you know, we have uh, some beautiful... Uh, spirits out of Austria, uh, Hans Reisebauer, the, uh, you know, Terry Thies, the greatest importer of German, Austrian, Grower Champagnes, um, imports spirits from the showman Hans Reisebauer, who's, who is the premier, I mean, no, I don't think anyone will argue, the premier um, maker of, of Eau de Vie. He makes this extremely high-end Eau de Vies, you know, ranging from Rowanberry to Tomato to, you know, a Poir Williams and uh, an Elderflower and, you know, just unbelievable uh, stuff. And he also uh, produces Blue Gin, which for me is, is you know, a real nice balance of, of feminine and bold at the same time. It's a little higher in alcohol, um, but it's one of those it's one of those gins that you could sip neat. I mean, and without making a face, it's it's absolutely incredible. He's making a making a whiskey um, that is uh, a barley whiskey aged in uh, Trockenbaren Alsace cast, so it's its own style going on. You know, very very, very cool stuff. Um, so anyway, so you know, we have this beautiful portfolio that we're already working with. Um, you know, stuff like we're coming into, we're, we're, we're well through fall, we're about to get hit with a nor'easter. I mean, how nice would it be to sit down and, and have a grip of, you know, Calvados in your hand? We have, you know, Adrian Camus, arguably the best, beautiful. Um, yeah. you know, best Calvados producer around. Uh, have you tried Camus stuff? Yeah, Camus uh, is actually the only Calvados. Uh, unfortunately, as Italian restaurants, we don't sell <laughs> too much Calvados. Uh, we always have a, a, a bottle of Camus at, at each at, at each place um, as, as the only Calvados we, we kind of carry. Yeah. yeah well, Cal, you know, Calvados is one of those things. It's like for all of you, for all of you whiskey drinkers out there, and I know how how hot you know the the bourbon and, and rye scene is. It's like uh, why don't you why don't you try something new? Yeah, I, I understand. And it's not made from from grain, you know. Uh, it's made from from cider, you know. I think that's something that I'd say the majority of the, the population probably doesn't know. They they hear Calvados, and if they if they think of anything at all when they hear Calvados, they're thinking it's it's just an apple brandy. It's actually uh, a cider brandy. So you know, something like Le Morton uh, from the Dom Frontin Calvados is making you know his his Calvados from somewhere in between sixty to eighty percent pear because pear orchards are more prevalent down in the Dom. Fronte. Um, and again, you know, this is, you know, he has an entry level, uh, I guess what would be considered his entry level, you know, Calvados that is absolutely stunning and, you know, at the right price where you could be mixing it into cocktails. I mean, why wouldn't you treat Calvados just like you would whiskey in terms of, of cocktails? You know, you throw a, a sugar cube, a couple dashes of bitters and a spray of absinthe or a spray of scotch and you have essentially a Sazerac, you know, you treat it, treat it exactly the same and infuse it with whatever you want. It's a bit, you know, some of these are higher in alcohol. They, they you know, they can take on other flavors very, very fast. You use them as tinctures, use it, you know, however, um, Anyway, uh, so that's Calvados and Armagnac. You know, Armagnac, ridiculous. Um, we we have uh, we have a, an Armagnac for all you for all you people who have explored. You know, cognac. Why don't you try something like like Armagnac, where where cognac is you know distilled twice and it's a bit you know has a bit 
more, I, I guess, I don't know if finesse is the right word, but it's a bit finer uh, of a spirit, at least texturally. You know, our Armagnac is only distilled one time. It kind of has a more more of a viscosity to it, back to that whole savory, you know, mouthfeel. You get some of those qualities that you, you would in grapes. Um, and, uh, you know, like uh, Chateau, uh, the, the Pelot, is is a beautiful you know his his reserve uh, armagnac is something that is easily mixable it's something easily drinkable a bit more fiery for those cold nor'easter nights you know mm-hmm. I'm with you I mean I'm sure everyone out there can tell why uh, why Adam's been been my source of information I had I've had uh, any cocktail question or if we wanted to. We wanted to make sodas, uh, house-made sodas, and put them on the gun. I gave Adam a call. He's absolutely a wealth of information, but we have to take uh, just a quick break right now, um, and we'll be right back with more In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You're listening to Honey by Renee Lopez on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. And we're back with In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're uh, we're just looking up a little Pomo de Semonville. Adam and I were were just talking about how much we love Pinot de Chiron. And uh, if you guys haven't ever tried it, Pomo is something that's really cool. It's basically the Calvados equivalent or the Normand equivalent of Pinot de Chiron. And what Pinot de Chiron is is uh, a fortified wine, but it's a heavily fortified wine um, with uh, with a third cognac. And this is this is fortified with uh, a third Calvados, which I imagine can be something that I, I've never actually mixed with it. But uh, uh, Adam, if you were to throw that into a cocktail, what would you put? Well, it has it has fantastic acidity to it. You know, it has the booze to back it up. So you know, when you think about you know, just for for the you who like to bartend or try to bartend, you need to think about how alcohol plays into to cocktails. You know, the the actual proof of, of alcohol. You know, alcohol dries a cocktail out. So, um, you know, something like this, where typically you'd be using something like a cider, you know, or you'd be using a vermouth. You know, this has a bit more bite, so you end up with a drier cocktail. So, something like this would be perfect to add to uh, a hot toddy. 
you know, it'd be, it'd be perfect to turn into an autumnal or wintry type of swing where you're adding some ginger beer, you know, maybe you're adding even more cognac to bring up the, bring up the fire. Um, you know, what doesn't sound good about apple and cognac and ginger and calvados? I mean, these are flavors that warm my loins. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's how you I need feel. to sit a little bit further away from me than it is. Oh, whatever, man. <laughs> uh, just to change gears a little bit, Adam, there's, uh, uh, I know a few of your favorite drinking spots as we've been there together, but where, where, tell, tell our listeners about where, where you're drinking these days. What, what are some of your All right. Well, I've been, I've been kind of taking it easy. I, got, I have a lot, because this is a new job, I have a lot to, a lot to learn, and I haven't started hitting the pavement uh, crazy yet and going out with you know, people uh, to our account. So um, I've, been, I've been staying close to home recently and taking it easy, but close to home in the East Village um, you know, is uh, a new bar called Pouring Ribbons. Uh, fantastic. Uh, it's headed up and uh, you know, owned by Joaquin Simo, uh, who is one of the, the, the head bartenders and founders of Death & Co. Um, and to me, maybe the best, you know, bartender in New York, certainly one of them. Uh, and Troy, uh, who, who I believe, you know, uh, really made his name at the Violet Hour in Chicago. You know, both of these are really beautiful cocktail bars. I like Porn Ribbons. It's, it's on, uh, it's on Avenue B between 13th and 12th. Um, I like it just, it's a bit more, a bit brighter in color. Uh, you know, I, I find sometimes these, these cocktail bars could be a bit, a bit stuffy. Um, a bit, a bit small and, and dimly lit, um, which which I like as well. It's romantic, but I like that it's a, it's a touch brighter. The bar is, is very, very well designed. You know, I go to these bars and it's, yeah, I'm drinking the drinks, but I'm also like sitting there taking notes of what their bar looks like because I would like a bar one day. It sounds great, and uh, you know, it's very ergonomically designed, very, very functional, clearly created by, you know, bartenders. You see far too often kitchens and restaurant spaces designed by people who are just designers. And it's like, well, you know, how about functionality? How about the fact that, you know, we're going to be swinging high volume, you know, drinks or food, whatever it may be. Anyway, so uh, I love pouring ribbon. You could go get, you know, like a, a vintage tasting of chartreuse there. I mean, who doesn't love getting banged up on chartreuse? It sounds herbally delicious. And, uh, I guess we've been sitting up Booker and Dax a good bit. Um, you know, the bar started uh, by Dave Arnold attached to, to Momofuku uh, Sambar, incorporating molecular gastronomy into it. You know, it's not some of it has a touch over the top, but not really. I mean, you know, I like the idea of pre pre bottled uh, cocktails, not for everything, but I like it. Carbonated, uh, you know, house made sodas. They have uh, both a roto a roto vap. Uh, for, you know, distilling at lower temperatures, it's a vacuum attached to a still, so you could distill at lower temperatures, and that's how you make aromas and things like that. And they have a centrifuge to separate things by weight. Um, so you're seeing clarified lime juice and clarified grapefruit juice. It's just, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's a mind fuck, for lack of a, a better term, when you're drinking an aviation cocktail that has beautiful acidity, but it looks like a clear glass of, of gin, something like that. So... Um, uh, so other out. than a rotovac and a, and a centrifuge or, and good bar design, like what, when you go into a bar and say you've never been there before, you know anything about it? What what are the things that you look at to determine? Oh, these guys know what they're doing. This is a good place versus you know just a random uh, random bar. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, when I when I sit down at uh, when I sit down at uh, a bar, one of the first things I look I look for is, is a glass of water. 
you know, I, you're about to be feeding me a bunch of booze. I really, I really like a glass of water uh, to go with it, even if they they didn't ask. Um, you know, you take a look at the back bar. It's like what, what's on what's sitting on the back bar is the whole, you know, is the whole front row. Uh, you know, a line of flavored, you know, uh, vodkas are all, you know, all. Uh, all spirits that are owned by one of the major major corporation brands, uh, or are they? You know, are we supporting supporting the little guy? Do you keep vermouths and uh, you know other aromatized wines on the back bar where they're getting you know lit up by by a light where you know it's bruising the bruising the the spirit or bruising the wine and leading to further oxidation and a, a lesser quality. You know, these are these are not little little things, but you know, if you're going to size up a bar and a bartender and a program, you know, real fast, these might be some some good indications how well it's lit. You know, I always I always like a, a good lighting and a good volume of of music and um, you know cleanliness. Cleanliness is everything. You know, I remember when I used to cook. Uh, the chef, the executive chef at the time, Corwin Cave, he like would stop, when I would get that, he would stop me. I remember Friday night, middle of service, told me to stop everything I was doing, go change my shirt, change my apron, come back upstairs, wipe down everything, clean everything. And we had tickets, you know, lined up. But it's important if you if you if you work dirty, you think dirty, and how are you going to organize yourself? And um, you know, it's super important to keep a clean bar, clean, clean establishment. <laughs> that's great man. that's great man. all right uh what is this that you uh that we have here in front of us i see uh hold, hold on i gotta, I gotta plug one more thing so we just picked up just now we started selling it i mean if there wasn't you know uh a natural disaster we would have been selling already but uh uh sombra mezcal so oh no breaking news yeah Breaking news. I mean, it's not as breaking as some of the other news, but it's still breaking news. Um, Summer, Summer Mezcal is a fantastic, fantastic mezcal. It's the uh, the brainchild of uh, Dickie Betts, who's behind Betts and Scholl uh, Wines, and, and Charles Beeler, who is, you know, he's pioneering and just you no know, one can touch him when it comes to, uh, you know, his headlines, the Gotham Project. You, you, it really, really has a corner on the market right now. So he teamed up with, with Dickie Betts to, to produce Sombra uh, Mezcal. They recently uh, moved their uh, distillery from uh, San Luis del Rio to San Juan, which is a little bit, a thousand, thirteen hundred feet higher in elevation. And as a result, you end up uh, with more sunlight, um, which creates higher bricks which in turn creates a fatter kind of more tropical style of um, of mezcal. It's perfect for sipping straight. It's got a bit of a bite, uh, a bit higher in alcohol, but at the same time, you know, it's uh, it's really, really lush and, and inc- incredibly um, well-made and, you know, at the right price. So we're really excited at, uh, at Michael Skernick uh, Wines, which we're going to have to come up with a, another name, like Michael Skernick Wines and Spirits or something, a little bit less <laughs> verbose than that. But, uh, yeah, so and we're working on a lot. I mean, yeah. come, come January 1, you're going to see see a big a big boom in, in, in our portfolio, and at least I hope for January 1. I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking speaking on my ass right now. But and if you, uh, if you want to if you want to learn more about Sombra Mezcal, um, you can tune in to episode nine on, in the archives of In the Drink. Um, we did have uh, Richard Vets on. He's uh, 
really really fascinating. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the of the new uh, of the new somber. I found the original one to be a little bit too intense on the smokiness, and now it's yeah. the quality of the uh, of the agave is. It's kind of like when you put an inferior, not mean if you're but like a wine into a, a brand new heavily charred French oak barrel. Uh, if if the if the grapes aren't top quality, you're only going to taste the oak. But if you have really great grapes, like in Burgundy, they use they tend to use a lot of new French oak, but uh, they're balanced and they're integrated. I find that that's what happened with with the Sombra. Now it has that nice smoking spot. You get a lot of that, a lot of the base spirit, a lot of the base uh, the base agave. Yeah, I mean, mezcal is crazy. Mezcal is you know, and and just agave in general is such an amazing. Uh, such an amazing product and, and spirit and process and history, everything everything about it. And, you know, when we picked it up, it was one of those spirits that made so much sense to sell uh, through a, a company like ours, through a, a wine uh, distributor, because the, the terminology is the same. You know, you're you're talking the same language. You're, you're talking uh, about somebody who's been walking through his field for, uh, you know, 10 to 12 years looking at this, this you know, uh, agave grow and you know they they harvested and uh, you know you talk you use terms like like bricks and you know um, um, you know uh, elevation and terroir agave is truly a terroir driven you know um, animal plant it's not an animal but you know you know what I mean. Um, I'm super excited to taste this mystery bottle of whatever right. you're pouring for me. So tell me a little bit about what you're working on here. All right. Well, I've been I've been playing I've been playing around uh, with vermouth over the last uh, five or six days while I was cooped up in my cooped up in my house. I bought a lot of a lot of bittering agents and a lot of. Uh, flowers and, um, you know, some, some fortified, uh, not fortified, but some different spirits. And anyway, I've been toying with the idea of making a vermouth. I mean, I want, I want a vermouth. I want to be selling a vermouth. I mean, we're looking into buying vermouths, but it would be really, really rad to also make a vermouth. So I made, um, I made an Americano here, um, from this one, this batch is from Gruner Veltliner. So what are we calling it? We're calling it. Can you tell us a little bit about what an Americano is? Yeah, you know. So in the world of in the world of of aromatized wines, you have there's there's many. You know, you have things like vermouth, which you know literally translates from from German to wormwood. You know, wormwood being you know uh, the main bittering ingredient and kind of the mythological ingredient of absence. Um, and uh, so, so vermouth is defined by wormwood, Americano defined by gentian. Gentian is another root, another bearing agent. So right now on the market, something that would be considered an Americano would be cookie Americano, something, you know, uh, wines are coming from, from Asti, I believe, uh, in Piemonte. Um, absolutely fantastic. So anyway, I thought it would make a lot of sense since we have such a heavy German-Austrian portfolio. I'm just toying around with the idea, and this is my... This is the sixth iteration of it. Um, it is, you know, really, really high in the acidity, super herbaceous, um, nice and nice and bitter. This is the unfiltered. I have a I have a filtered and signed version at my house, uh, which definitely, you know, when you when you start finding, you're pulling out uh, a lot of the essential oils and you're kind of really rounding out the edges. But I kind of like the edge. What do you think? Uh, well, I think it's delicious, and it, it made me think, wow, why haven't I made my own vermouth at home or at the restaurant? Is this something that's easy to do? 
it, I mean, it is, I'm not going to tell you how easy it is to do, but, you know, I mean, you could start by looking up how to make vermouth online and then start playing. You know, it does take, it does take, uh, a bit of toying around, you know, you, you start with the baseline. I would, I would imagine most people would, would agree, even though I am going against the grain here, that you're looking for something a bit more innocuous, something that just kind of lends more acidity than flavor. But like I was saying with the sect wines, I like the idea of single varietal. I think it's really, really interesting. Um, I like how you can taste, you can taste the wine. You can taste it's an aromatic, uh, full flavor wine. And I love, I love the idea. I mean, I love the, the idea of bitter in general. I mean, you have bars just like, you know, uh, Amore Amargo, you know, that, that focuses mainly on bitter. You know, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think the American, the American palate is finally getting over the fact that bitter doesn't equal poison like we were, you know, trained as humans to, to think. And, you know, we're, we're starting to explore the, the world of, of nutty and bitter. I love it. I love it too. Um, we're gonna do just a, a quick, uh, quick wrap up. Of, uh, <laughs> I have a. Uh, oh, you're in for. Uh, we ha- no, we have. A, I'm gonna do a quick rapid fire uh, question for you. What would you drink in the following situations? And it, it could be anything. It could be wine, a beer, uh, your favorite cocktail. But we're gonna. We'll take. We'll take it really easy. <laughs> it's always easy. All right, take it take really easy. You, you've made uh, you made some pizza. You have friends over. What what are you drinking? I'm I'm sorry. Which night are we doing this? Okay, the first, just this is a. If we're having people over, what am I drinking? Yeah. Uh, if there's if there's no if there's no food involved, I'm probably drinking. Oh man, what am I drinking these days? Uh, how about? Like some some sparkling, some some, some poufni or some uh, tiso. I like I like the tiso wines. I really really like like tissot's facade. Uh, I like Andrea. I drink a lot of Andrea Calic. Uh, the Chateau Chateau de Garde. What is that? Uh, what does that mean again, Joe? Um, you know what that means? No, tiso. I love his wines too. We have a great Amphora. Um, okay, so I know you're an avid longboarder. You've been out on the longboard all day. Yeah, you come back home and you just you just you know you're tired. You're at Yana all day. What what are you gonna what are you gonna open up? What do I want? Oh man, uh, a tall glass of uh, soda water, no ice, and um, how about uh, how about something something light? Something I, I really really dig, especially during those months where it's a bit hotter. I really love me some like like vino verde. Um, I really really like. Uh, some some lighter verdejos, like those really kind of Spanish floral, light, easy drinking varietals. All right, and yeah, okay. And uh, last one, you're uh, you're watching the uh, election results come in, and uh, Obama wins. Oh man, I want to make all sorts of absurd comments. Um, I'm drinking, I'm drinking whiskey. Uh, I'm drinking, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm popping, I'm popping bottles. I'm drinking, I'm drinking champagne, and I'm drinking whiskey. And then I black out and have to come here and do the show in the morning. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Adam. That's uh, Adam Schumann, uh, absolutely the man. Uh, you can uh, you can find his influence now at, on the, uh, the spirits program at Michael Skernick Wines. Um, and certainly every bottle of, of wine from Michael Skernick Wines says Michael Skernick on the back. Um, sure. Same thing with, with the spirits, so, so look out for that. It's definitely... It's coming. We're, we're going to be hitting the market hard. All right, we're excited to hear what you have come when when you after January first we'll have you back on to taste some of this stuff. Yeah, sounds good. I'd love to. I'd love to recap and talk a bit more about exactly all, all, all of the all of the spirits since you know they're all going to be amazing producers with amazing stories and amazing products. So I have no doubt. All right, thank you so much for listening. Uh, tune in again on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Joe Campanelli. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.